Welcome to Tech Talk Online, sponsored by Stratford University. You can listen to Tech Talk Live Saturday mornings from 9 till 10. Find us online at federalnewsnetwork.com or hear us on the radio in the Washington, D.C. area on the following frequencies. 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD 2, and 1039 FM HD 2. We thank you for listening to Tech Talk Radio. Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Ross. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now, here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Ross. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. And I'm Jim Ross. And lots of busy stuff going on in technology. Windows 10 keeps growing in market share. They've got more than half of all the computers in the world under Windows 10. Um, Finally, you can take your iPhone to an independent repair shop and not have the warranty voided by Apple. That is great news for us all who like like to have somebody replace the screen at a reduced price. See, because I've been doing that anyway. That's right. We're going to talk about uh, generating power simply by looking at the night sky. You know, we got the problem with solar cells. The sun has to be up. Well, this is something you point at the dark sky, and it generates electricity. So it's an interesting idea. Not as much as solar cells, but still a useful idea. And, of course, Apple had their big Apple event 2019. They talked about the iPhone, the iPad, and the Apple Watch No big breakthroughs there, just evolutionary technology. And tonight, an asteroid is going to pass very close to the Earth. I'll put on my helmet. This asteroid is is the size of a skyscraper, and it's going to be coming quite close, but not hitting the Earth, fortunately. So we think. So we think. And this week we're going to feature Jean E. Samet. She was uh, best known for developing the Formac Formac programming language and one of the developers of the COBOL programming language. Um, Sort of a series here. All of these women at the same time had to overcome great obstacles to become contributors to information technology and computer science, and they did it. And they made tremendous uh, headway back in those formative years of computer science. And, of course, it was a huge, huge mailbag. There's a letter in your mailbox. Wait a minute. Profiles in oh, the Apparently, he and I were drinking at the same bar last yeah, night. Yeah, I know. Well, well, sorry about that. That's okay. We got an email from Jason in New York City. Dear Tech Talk, I've got a three-year-old laptop that has a broken screen. And it's uh, pretty good, but it won't light up at all. I checked it out, and, uh, you know, I'm trying to decide whether I should junk it or, you know, is there any way I can get the files off of it? Well, I think you'll be able to save the files from your damaged laptop. Here are a few options you can consider, Jason. First of all, if it appears that after pressing the start button, you can – if it appears it's actually starting up and that the screen is simply not working, you can connect an external monitor to the external video port. And then, if that works, you'll be able to just go on, as always, with your computer, just using an external monitor. Or, you could simply take, if it won't start up and that won't work, you could remove the hard drive and connect it to, to another PC via, via a, you know, a, a very inexpensive USB hard drive adap- adapter. 
and then you could um, and then you could just copy your files to that other computer, or you could remove the hard drive and just put it inside of of another computer, and then you could you could copy the files. Um, now, if you decide to uh, get rid of your laptop, though, I would recommend that you remove the hard drive before disposing of it. That way, nobody will be able to steal your valuable data. We got an email from VJ in Rockville, Maryland. Tech Talk. Dear Tech Talk, um, I'm having problems with my data usage. I've heard that iOS 13 has solved this problem. What are the facts? VJ in Rockville. Well, VJ, you are really keeping up on the news. You are correct. There is a low data mode in iOS 13, which is, which is due out. It's in beta now. It's going to come out within the next month. And it stops all background app refer- refreshes. And it basically postpones all non-urgent sync tasks until you're connected to Wi-Fi. It also pauses all background sync tasks. When the low data mode is enabled, the photo apps won't back up your photos until you're on Wi-Fi. Now, you won't see much difference in using your iPhone today today, but with all the background processes gone away, you'll be able to control your... Um, your, your your data a little bit better. Now, if you want to enable the low data mode, you simply now what you've got to install iOS 13. It's coming coming out in the next month. Tap on this. Go to go to settings and tap on cellular, and then under cellular, um, tap on cellular data options, and then just toggle the low data mode on, and then you are good to go. We got an email from Donna in Pittsburgh, Kansas. Dear Tech Talk. I've had a problem and I need your help ASAP. I was browsing Facebook last night and I checked and I caught on it and I checked on a I clicked on a link that caught my attention. As soon as I clicked it, my screen went solid blue. The computer froze up. I finally just unplugged it and booted it back up into Windows, but now none of my programs will open and it's running really slow. I'm sure that I clicked something that put a virus on my system. But Norton Antivirus won't open, so I can't even run that scan. Is there anything I can do to fix this problem besides buying a new computer? Thanks for your help, Donna in Pittsburgh. Well, Donna, you probably did pick up some kind of virus, and you really want to. You're going to have to clean your PC as best you can. And um, and uh, the best way to do that, I mean, if you, the best way to actually clean a system up completely is to simply do a clean install, just to reinstall everything from scratch. Now, the problem is, of course, you would uh, you would uh, lose all your data and files. So that's not particularly a good option right now until you can get those files off. So you can you can actually uh, re, you know re, you go through a systematic process to remove all of the malware manually. And if you can get your PC running again, then you can copy your files if you want to end up doing a clean install. So first thing you want to Boot your PC in the safe mode. That's probably the best thing. You boot it in the safe mode, and then you uh, you want to download any, you want to remove any toolbars that have been installed. Toolbars are almost always just laden with malware. So you can go to the a, a program called the Geek Installer. The Geek Installer, you can download that once you're in the safe mode, and then you can install that on your computer, and you can run Geek Installer, and that will remove all the all the uh, all the toolbars. That'd be the first thing you could do. Now, if possible, once you're in the safe mode, you could try to update your antivirus software and then and scan that. Now, if you're unable to update your antivirus program, 
then I would uninstall it and install another antivirus program, a vast antivirus, A-V-A-S-T antivirus. That's a great free program, and run a scan with that. Once you've run a vast antivirus, I would download the free version of Malwarebytes, M-A-L-W-A-R-E-B-Y-T-E-S, Malwarebytes. Download it and install it and run through that. That is also a very good tool for looking for malware. And then, and also Malwarebytes has something else which is pretty good called an anti-rootkit. Because some of the malware is so sneaky that it goes into the root and, and, it, and you boot up with the malware in place and then you, you can't even detect it. So you've got to have a root kit in order to look for that. So da- Malware Bytes has an anti-root kit. So you can download that and, um, and follow the, follow the instructions and then that should, uh, get rid of any root kits. And then, um, the last thing you might want to do, just check on what's auto running. A lot of times malware will just start, turn on a lot of stuff as you're booting up. And you only want to auto-run stuff that you want. So there's a program called Auto-Runs, A-U-T-O-R-U-N-S. You can download that, and you can save it to your desktop, extract all the files, and click on autorun.exe to run the program. And then you look at all the things that are automatically running. And things you don't recognize, just uncheck them, and then those will not be automatically installed when you're booting up. Listen, good luck, Donna. That's If you go through that list of stuff, it's going to take you a good morning. We got an email from (laughs) Alan in Springfield, Missouri. Dear Doc and Jim, I just got my new iPhone and configured it to allow Wi-Fi calling. Let me see here. Oh, yeah, there we go. Configured it to... (laughs) Page two. I was was looking for page three. Got it configured Ah. to... To to uh, to go for Wi-Fi calling now, and it works when I'm at work, but when I get home and connect to my home router, Wi-Fi calling fails to initiate. Now I need Wi-Fi calling because my cellular signal at home is very weak, particularly in the basement. Thanks for your help, Alan in Springfield, Missouri. Well, Wi-Fi calling is very nice. What it does, it when you enable it, it uh, when you go onto a new Wi-Fi network, it establishes a connection with servers with your with your uh, cellular provider and and your cellular provider routes all phone calls to you through that Wi-Fi connection and if you make a phone call it goes out through the Wi-Fi connection so you're not using cellular at all so Wi-Fi calling is tremendous especially when you're traveling yeah. you can be traveling in Europe and you use Wi-Fi connection on a hotel Wi-Fi and it's just like you're making a local call now this is the thing uh, not all routers are configured to support Wi-Fi calling. Now, I've got Verizon Fios. It is out of the box, you know, configured to support Wi-Fi calling, not a problem. But when you use Wi-Fi calling, your device must be able to communicate with the carrier network. And that means that certain traffic has to be able to go through the firewall. It turns out that Wi-Fi calling uses something called Internet Protocol Security, IPsec, now, this is a method to set up a tunnel of encrypted traffic that goes between your router, between your cell phone, and the a carrier, the provider, their services. You've got that encrypted tunnel, and that keeps all of your traffic uh, secure. So your router must have IPsec enabled. Some routers do not have IPsec enabled when you turn on the firewall. It just disables IPsec. So you're going to go to the firewall section of your router, go to the settings within your router, go to the firewall section, and make certain that IPsec is enabled. Now, it turns out that Wi-Fi calling uses two ports of, of IPsec. They use uh, 
UDP, User Datagram Protocol, UDP, port 500, and UDP port 4500. Now, ports are like, are like internal addresses, so if a signal comes in, if a, if a packet comes into your network or into your computer, say to port 4500, that your computer then knows to forward it to a particular program that's always listening for, for port 4500. And so this is the way to direct the traffic to the proper program. And all of that, the, the handshake and all of the coordination that's required to set up this encrypted data stream uses those two ports. So you have to make that those, you have to make certain that those two ports are open and that data on those two ports passes through your firewall. So these ports must be open. Now you want to check, you might want to check the access lists in your firewall section to see whether those ports are open. Now, if you're kind of a technical guy, all of these requirements are described in a RFC 5996. That's the way that um, the Internet Society, um, IETF, the Internet, Engin- Internet Engineering Task Force, actually creates standards for the Internet, and that's Request for Comment, RFC 5996. And that describes version 2 of the Internet Key Exchange. So that describes what they call IKE version 2, and that's what it's using. And so it's probably worth looking. Oh, there's one other thing that you want to make certain. Uh, if you want to have Wi-Fi calling um, running efficiently, you want to have the maximum packet size. That's called the MTU. You want to set it to 1,500 because you can set that MTU at different values, make certain that your MTU is set for 1,500. That's in the configuration section of your router. You can just search for MTU once you get into the router settings, and I think you'll find it. Well, I hope this works for you because Wi-Fi calling is definitely a must if your cellular connection is not functioning very well. We got an email from Don in Baltimore, Maryland. What's the difference between system image backup and regular backup? Are these just regular backups or is there something really different about them? I've been using Carbonite to back up my irreplaceable files, but would I be better creating a Windows 10 systems image backup instead? Don in Baltimore. Well, Don, what you're referring to as a regular backup typically only backs up selected files. These are your critical files. And it leaves everything else other than files unbacked up. So your applications, your operating system are not backed up at all, but you have your critical files, which is which are good. So if your hard drive fails, if you want to get your computer up and running again, you've got to reinstall the operating system, you've got to reinstall all the applications, and then you can copy all your data files onto the onto the onto the hard drive. So it does make sense to have an image. An image images, it's basically a disk image, and it images the entire hard drive, including the operating system, including all your applications, and including all your data files. Now, now to run a disk image takes quite a while, and so you wouldn't necessarily run it all the time, but most people will run the disk image on an external hard drive. You get a USB external hard drive, You've got Windows 10, fortunately, and Windows 10 has built in within itself the ability to do a disk image. So I would continue backing up your critical files to Carbonite because that really makes them secure in the event something happens at your house, somebody steals your computer, you always got your critical files. But I would then periodically run a disk image whenever you make a big change to your operating system. When you And, you know, maybe if you get a security update or if you add an application, um, 
do another disk image. You don't have to do a disk image every day. You just do it, you just do it frequently enough so that your operating system and applications are up to date. And then you do your daily backup of your critical files to Carbonite. So to actually do a disk image with Windows 10, you want to go to the start button and type the word control panel, and that'll bring up the control panel. Then you click on systems and security. Then you click on file history, and then you click on system image backup in the lower left-hand corner, and then you click the button that says create system image, and boom, you you can do that as often as you as you want. I think it's a good idea to both do both. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. It's Saturday morning. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio, heard every Saturday at 9 on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD 2, 1039 FM HD 2, and on the web at stratford.edu. You can also watch us do the program, which is terribly exciting, by downloading the Periscope app to your device and following us at WFED Tech Talk. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge of Stratford University talking technology. And now it is time for... Profiles in IT. Yes, today we're going to feature Gene E. Samet. Gene E. Samet is best known for developing Formac a programming language, and also one of the developers of the COBOL programming language. Gene Samet was born March 23, 1928, New York City. Um, she tried to enroll in the technical, the technology high school in New York City in the Bronx, and because she was a woman, she was not allowed. They only enrolled men, because at that time they thought men should be going to technology, not huh. women. So she she went she ended up going to a non-technical high school in New York City, but she enrolled in Mount Holyoke College uh, when she went to get her bachelor's degree, and she did that based on the strength of the mathematics program there at Mount Holyoke. She majored in mathematics, but she took education courses as a backup because she figured if I can't get a job in technology with mathematics, at least they'll let me teach because <laughs> teaching was viewed as a woman's job. And this was very much a problem back in her time. 
Now, after graduating from Mount Holyoke, Samet pursued graduate studies at the University of Illinois, where she received a Master of Arts in uh, Mathematics in 1949. In 1951, she took a position at the Metropolitan Life Insurance Company as a trainee actuary, and she focused on punch card accounting machines. And she, you know, she did that for a while, but but that didn't really lead to anything. So she left that job, and she enrolled at Columbia University to pursue her Ph.D. in mathematics. But I'll tell you, she dropped out after a year. She decided that academia wasn't for her. And then from 1953 to 1958, she was hired as a mathematician for Sperry Gyroscope. She spent time working on mathematical analysis problems and ran a computer analog, an analog computer. In 55, she became the principal programmer for the Sperry Electronic Automatic Computer, the SPEDAC, and she eventually became the group leader. In 1955, Sperry Gyroscope and Remington Rand merged and became Sperry Rand. Now, this merger allowed Samet to access the Univac computer and work with Grace Hopper. Ah, Aha! Grace Hopper, one of what we featured on Profiles in IT before. Yeah, she was a pioneer. In 1956, Samma taught one of the earliest graduate-level courses in computer programming at Adelphi University. She did it without a computer and without any textbooks, because there were no textbooks then, and the school didn't have a computer. They were so new. Now, she decided to leave Sperry, um, you know, in, in the mid-50s, and back then... Jobs were in the newspaper that you had jobs for women and jobs for men. They were separated. Mm -hmm. So she went through all the jobs for women, and there was nothing there for her because it was all uh, what they would call women's work. So she ended up having to look through the jobs for men, and she found a job that interested her. And she she applied with Sylvania Electric Products, and she got a job there to oversee software development for Moby Dick. That was the mobile digital computer. See, they were just transitioning to computers that were smaller. They started with these huge computers like Univac, and these all had tubes in them, and they'd fill just an entire room. But when they started making transistorized computers, they were much smaller. And so she was developing the software for one of these transistorized computers, the mobile digital digital computer, the Moby Dick. In 1959, Samet and five other programmers established much of the design of COBOL. See, this was back when the U.S. government was trying to create um, a vendor-neutral business programming language. And and, uh, um, Grace Hopper was very much involved with that development. And so these five women, these actually these six women... uh, because back then, programming was viewed as women's work. Uh-huh. Men did the hardware. <laughs> Women did the clerical computer programming. That was the idea behind it. But they actually created some of the most innovative programming techniques as they developed COBOL. And here's the thing. These six programmers... They developed the bulk of the COBOL programming language in the span of two weeks. Wow. Is that amazing? That is amazing. Now, around 1965 or 66, Samet noticed the need to exchange intellectual information 
when working with languages and software. Now, she was a member of the Association for Computing Machinery, ACM, for years, but she wasn't active, until she decided that she wanted to start a special interest group group with an ACM. So she went to the, you know, she went all around ACM. She couldn't get any support. But finally, she found the president of ACM would listen to her, and he appointed her chairperson for the Special Interest Committee on Symbolic and Algebraic Manipulation. It's called SECSAM, S-E-C-S-A-M. And uh, and then she went out and got people interested in this in this particular special interest group who had been publishing in the field. And the next year, she organized a symposium on symbolic and algebraic manipulation. So she actually assumed a great leadership position within the ACM, which if you think back at the time frame, that was extraordinary mm-hmm. that she did that as a woman. In 68, Samet became chairperson of the ACM Committee for SIGs for special interest groups. And in 72, she was elected as vice president of ACM. Now, she's received a, a number of awards. I just have listed a couple of them here. I thought the most significant. In 1989, she received the Lovelace Award from the Association for, for Women in Computing. And in 2009, she received the Computer Pioneer Award from the IEEE Computer Society. She died May 26, 2017 in Silver Spring, Maryland. She was a yeah. homie here. <laughs> homie? He was That's a homie. a word I never thought I'd hear you say. I know. Well, you know, you know who taught me that? David Bird. <laughs> he, used the, he used that all the time. You know, we need to have David Bird in we here someday. We certainly It'll do. It'll be his f- inaugural visit to the new studio. Yeah, that's what we Yeah, because he had the last, just as the old studio was being shut that's down, right. he came in. So he needs to have he the needs- inaugural visit here. Yeah, exactly. So there you go. Everything you ever want to know about Gene E. Samet, one of the women pioneers in computing. Hope you were paying attention to what the doc was just talking about because your knowledge could turn into free food, free lunch at one of our dining rooms at the Stratford University uh, campuses around the area. Stay tuned for the pop quiz coming up on Tech Talk Radio. We're heard every Saturday at 9 on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 1039 FM HD2, 1035 FM HD2. On the web at stratford.edu. Watch us do the program by downloading the Periscope app to your device and following us at WFED Tech Talk. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. 
If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. From Washington, it's the Stratford University Pop Quiz with Andrew Mitchell, Jim Ross, featuring Mr. Big Voice, with musical guests, the Stratford University Junkyard Band, and your host, Dr. Richard Schertz. Yes, yes. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Please be seated. And don't spill the pumpkin spice lattes when you sit down. Exactly. This, of course, is not simply a radio show. It is a classroom of the airways. And we have to do program learning outcome assessments, PLOs. A quiz. And we do that with a pop quiz to see if our audience has been listening. Now, if you get the the correct answer to the pop quiz, you'll get an A plus for today's show. Plus, you'll win two tickets to fine dining at one of our one of the Stratford University dining rooms. Earlier in the show, I talked about Gene E. Samich. He, of course, is one of the programming pioneers. And at one time in her career, she was uh, at a company. And they developed the programming language. A team of six women developed the programming language in just a two-week time frame. What was the name of that programming language? If you know the answer to today's question, then now will be a great time to pick up your device and give us a call. If you're dialing from west of the Rockies, it's 877-936-9333. Calling from east of Playa del Shirts, Virginia, it's 877-936-9333. If you're boning up on your math skills in Canada, call us on the wild card line, 877-936-9333. Anyone else, anywhere else may call us on the usually out-of-service international line, 877-936-39333. Now, once again, Here's Dr. Richard Church. He sounds a little out of it this morning. Uh, he's he a little slow. He maybe, certainly maybe does. Maybe he had a late night last That's night. That's right. And, and if you're trying to call us from a, an observatory looking at an asteroid passing near the Earth, you can reach us on <laughs> Skype. Simply connect to Tech Talk Radio 1, and your call will be forwarded to the studio free of charge. Will you be uh, monitoring the asteroid at Shirts Point tonight? Yes, I'll be monitoring okay. that. Now, Windows 10 is now running on over half of the world's computers. Now, they've slowly been increasing their foothold, Microsoft, in this uh, with Windows 10. And now uh, they are they are now running, Windows 10 is now running on 51% of the world's computers. And that's soon to go up. Even higher than that, because Windows 7 is, is a scheduling, is scheduled to be officially abandoned by Microsoft January 20th, 2020. So after January 20th, 2020, a lot of people are going to dump Windows 7 and they'll just jump straight to Windows 10. So you're going to see Windows 10 gradually getting more and more speed. So now there are more computers running Windows 10 than those running Mac operating system, Linux, Chrome operating system, and all previous versions of Windows. Now, Microsoft has been trying to get Windows 10 to dominate the market, and it seems as though they have been successful. We had a, we had a scare this last week 
the world's longest running webcam almost oh went offline. It was like me. critical. It almost went offline. Fog cam. Fog cam. Fog okay, cam. so what's the point of having a fog cam? Fog cam is fog cam is uh, on. You can't see uh, anything. That's right. So they you you use fog cam to monitor the fog in San Francisco. Oh. Now fog cam, the world's longest running webcam. Uh, was supposed to be shut down by the creators, Jeff Schwartz and Dan Wong. They announced that on Twitter last week. And there was a huge eruption of support for FogCam. FogCam's been in near-continuous operation for the past 25 years. And it only went off temporarily offline for a few times when San Francisco State University had to move it to a new location. Now, originally, these guys came up with the idea for a live stream while they were taking a computer science class and learning the process of scripting. Now, Schwartz at that time ran another webcam from his apartment that streamed his cats, <laughs> Petunia and Webb. Oh, my. A cat guy. Yeah, because That's a little frightening. he wanted to keep an eye on them while he was attending class. You know, he didn't trust what they would be up to. So well, they're they, cats. You never trust you what never they're up know. to. I don't know. They got Petunia and Webb. Now, uh, Schwartz and Wong, they, they put, put together this web project, this little pet project, to, uh, you know, monitor fog on the campus. And this project, it became very popular. And they, they decided, they, they decided that they were going to take down fog cam because they thought after 25 years they'd been maintaining that long enough. So they put on their website that they're going to take it down. And I bet they were deluged. Because, and they said because they don't have support from the university. They kept trying to get a new location for the university. The university was not very cooperative and they said, well, yeah. they said the heck with it. We're not, we're just what's not going to do it. Yeah, what's the point? Well, what happened was there was such an outroar. So I, so I, I was originally going to give this article that, you know, it was being shut down. Well, I decided to go to the fog, fog cam website. <laughs> By the way, it's fogcam.org. If you want to go to fogcam.org. So I decided to go to the fogcam website just to check in this morning. And guess what? They it's scrap- not there. That's oh, wait it a is. minute, it is fogcam.org. Uh, my aren't yeah. And so I, and right at the top it said the. This is what they said that the San Francisco State University has confirmed that it has agreed to continue maintaining fog cam. And this is what they said. San Francisco State University has supported the operation of fog cam since its inception in 1994. Now, that's a little bit of an overstatement because they didn't get that much support, but at least they let them run it. Uh, and that's a major milestone, the longest running, you know, streaming camera on yeah, the right. Internet. And they said the university looks forward to continuing the webcam's legacy. Guess what you don't see when you look in the webcam this morning? What? Fog. There's no fog nah, out there? there's low clouds, but there's pretty decent visibility. So I so. knew our tech talk audience would want to know that fog, fog cam was alive and, sure and well. <laughs> both of them have now jammed the fog cam. Oh, I'm on there, That's too, so it's three of them. Three Guess people. Guess what? Okay. We've got somebody on the phone. Okay. We'd like to play the quiz. Let's go to line one. And this is Tom, who is calling us from Falls Church, Virginia. Tom, good morning. How are you? I'm fine. Good. Dr. Schertz, go ahead and ask the question. Early in the morning, I talked about Jean E. Samet, a a woman computer pioneer. What programming language did she and 500 women create in a two-week period? COBOL. Correct. That is correct. And there's the winning music, finally. (laughs) There you go. Tom, thanks a lot for playing the game. Hang on a second. I'm going to put you back on hold. 
and we'll take your information and send the prize right out to it. Saturday morning, you're listening to Tech Talk Radio, heard every Saturday on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD 2 and 103.9 FM HD 2. You can listen to our shows also in part podcast form by going to Podcast One or Apple iTunes and to download them there. And also learn more about the programs at Stratford University by going to stratford.edu. We'll be right back. It's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge of Stratford University talking technology. Now you can take your iPhone to an independent repair shop. Oh, I thought you were going to tell me where to... Never mind. <laughs> up, until, up until this week, if you took it to an independent repair shop, it would void your warranty. Mm-hmm. But Apple is now allowing third parties to fix iPhones with genuine Apple parts. Now, store technicians can become certified to fix iPhones at an Apple store for free. Apple says this update will provide access to the most common supplies for out-of-warranty iPhone repairs, including genuine Apple parts, tools, training, repair manuals, and diagnostic services. More independent repair business will have access to the same genuine parts that Apple authorized service providers now have. Prior to the announcement, only the company's global network of 5,000 Apple authorized service providers could make repairs on iPhones without consequence, which was voiding the history. Apple now the reason now Apple's not doing this because they're just nice. No, there is What's a the reason? there's a bill called Right to Repair. That's right. That went through Congress and it said people have the right to repair their own electronic gear. So they had to be forced to do this. And so with the Right to Repair bill, which by the way they fought hard, but it went through. So now they magnanimously are allowing third party shops. To repair iPhones. I need to do something about my iPhone because I had I have the 6S with a bad battery. Uh-huh. And like a fool, I never got the battery replaced. You should have. And now it, is, it goes like this. Yep. So you were thinking about the, the 10. I'm, I'm th- I haven't decided. Oh, you're, wait- are you're waiting for the next one to come well, out. Well, the, the 11 just came out. You can order it on, on September 20th. But you weren't going to get the 11, were you? No, because it doesn't support 5G. 
Does the 10, 10 support 5G? No. Oh, so you're waiting for a 5G phone? Yeah. Oh. See, my six, see, my, wait. My, well, my, my 6X is, is, is good enough. It's possible. And I can't imagine a universe existing <laughs> like this that I might have a newer iPhone it than is, you. It could be possible. That is possible. Now, the only reason I would upgrade would be to get a better camera because they significantly up the, upgraded the camera between the 6 and the 7, and they did a major upgrading camera when they came out with the 11. So, so you've got a cell phone, and the primary reason to upgrade it is the camera. Uh-huh, right. And And the thing that you would want to have, the latest... Cellular technology isn't there. That would make sense. Because because uh, Apple is really going to be the last one to come out with 5G. Why? Because they were in a, uh, what we'd say, a feud with Qualcomm. Oh, that's right, yeah. And Qualcomm makes the 5G chips, and so they said, we're going to make our own chips, we're going to do something else, and so... They, they they lost a year with it because of that feud. So did they make their own chips or did they give in to Qualcomm? They're 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 gonna there was a there was an antitrust compromise. I think they're gonna they're gonna it'll be a combination of Qualcomm chips plus chips that they make themselves. Mm-hmm. They don't want to have use Qualcomm as a sole provider of the chips. So, but anyway, they were delayed by a year. So I'm trying to decide should I. Um, um, get the should I wait or should I go? So I haven't really decided yet, but I like my iPhone 6s. So do I. So the so the 11 will not have 5G. No. And they, they probably even haven't haven't started to think about that. Well, they probably are planning the 12 now. Yeah, I, I would say they're they've already got the circuits, and the, the 12 is probably already prototyped. And so it's very clear that 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 they're going to have 5G with the 12, but it'll be a year after all the other vendors have it. Now let's mm. let's talk about the idea of the week. Have you ever heard of something called what three words? No, what I have not. Three words to map the world. Now most of us really aren't experts on latitude and longitude because you got a string of numbers. You know, latitude you've got degrees, minutes, and seconds for latitude. Degrees, minutes, and seconds. I mean, yes. it's like sixteen numbers. Yeah. So you you put down sixteen numbers. It's really complicated to write down. Well. You have to remember it, too. And so this British company created a new way of addressing latitude and longitude in the world. They basically divided the world up into three meter by three meter squares, the entire world by three meter by three meter squares. Hmm. And then they decided, how could we put a name on each square instead of using 16 digits like, like GPS? So this guy by the name of Chris Cedric... And his friend, who was a mathematician, Mohan Gainsalingham, who was a math whiz, they came up with a new idea. What they did, they used three words to name each three-meter square on the word. So it could be like dog, big, road. And and so there would be three words that would actually specify that particular square. Now, it turns out they did a little research. In the English Oxford Dictionary, there are 171,000 words. But if they remove all the hyphenated words, if they remove the curse words, and they, re- and they, re- <laughs> and they remove uh, any kind of words that you really wouldn't want to be saying, they're left with around 40,000 words. And it turns out that when they, um, if you take 40,000 words and you put them in triplets, you know, three a triplet combination, there are 64 trillion combination of words. And the Earth only has 57 trillion three-meter squares on its surface. 
So there are enough words, triplets, to name every single three-meter square on the earth. But then you have to remember the words. Yeah, but, okay, so they created a company, what three words, and they started it five years ago. And it turns out that this has been extremely, extremely convenient. Like, for instance, I looked up the location. I took the WTOP radio front door. Okay. The front door. And that three-word location is purely exile gets. Purely exile gets. Okay. Now, you could remember that, but could you remember 16 digits that I sent you? No, you're right. But okay, and so what? 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 So what they're it, doing? Listen, they it, like they were emergency, like in the 2017 earthquake in Mexico City, the government could not get get supplies to people, and it was too hard to use GPS coordinates. So they used three word locations throughout the city, and people, if they needed help, they would look at a three word sign, it would, and they would read the three word sign, and they knew exactly where they were located. Interesting. And this has this has actually turned out to be really so useful. So they're really going to put these signs in places so you know where you are. There, there is there is one there is one city that's actually putting the signs ar- around the city, and there are some stores you can buy these three this triplet word sign. You can you can put it up on the uh, on the store. Now, Jim, would you, would you like? Now you can download the app. You can download the. You have the, to download uh, this to your phone, right? Yeah, you download it to your phone. Okay. I, so I was playing around with it th- today. It's you, you know, you download well, you, you, you download f- the what three words app. Okay, I'm downloading it now. Now, for okay. instance, I now have my GPS location. We're right in the studio. So the three meter square right in the middle of our studio is mixer scenes transmitted. <laughs> okay, and that's the three meter square right in the middle of our. Now I tell you, I think this is useful because I was on the boat and I and I had to translate. You know, we got this VHS thing to, if you want to make an emergency call, and I'd have to read the GPS coordinates and actually manually put into the VH radio. Well, I mean that's just too complicated. Yeah. But I could certainly put in mixer scenes transmitted, and people can remember that. Right. When this becomes uh, universally accepted as a way to do this, it is getting more and more acceptance because it's bringing G- GPS coordinates down to everyday guy, and it's really being used by emergency services. You should post these on on campuses, on your campuses. That's yeah. Where are you? Yeah, we, we, wherever they're located. And so the thing is that there are a lot of, for instance, uh, you go into developing countries where just houses all crowded together. There are no street addresses. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. There, there are no street addresses, so you could simply say, "Well, just drop off my letter at wages anybody hours." I hadn't even thought about that. So there are this, places in this world where there is no such thing as a street address. There's, there's no people live there, and every three meter square has a name. So mm. you could actually put the three meter square right at your front door, and you could give that triplet word, and people could come right to where you're located. Wow. So it actually is extremely powerful, and it was such a simple idea. So that is the idea of the week. I think they should have left three the words. words in. That would have made it more interesting. That would have made it more fun. interesting, yeah. So let me see. What did I do? I did another one. Let me see. I did another one. Oh, yeah, the White House. I, well, of course, the White House is big, so I took the very middle of the White House, and it was Salk Held Raves. <laughs> but that's right in the middle of the Right of, in the middle. Uh, right in the middle of it. So there you go. 
the idea of the week. What three words to map the world? Doc, I think we need to take okay. a bit of a break here. It is Saturday morning. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio, heard on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD 2, 103.9 FM HD 2, on the web at stratford.edu. Watch us do the program, download the Periscope app to your device, and follow us at WFED Tech Talk. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Researchers are working on the next computer storage breakthrough, Hmm. DNA. DNA offers the best information storage device that scientists have ever discovered. That's the DNA that's in our body. But accessing DNA is incredibly complex. That's why scientists set out to create new results and how they could simplify the methods of DNA storage. Now, researchers have shown that it's, that, that it's theoretically possible to store 10 petabytes of data. That's 10 million gigabytes of data in a single gram of DNA. Potentially, all of YouTube website, which has got millions of videos, could fit on a teaspoon. Hmm. That's really dense storage. The study, which from researchers at Technion Israel Institute of Technology in Haifa and the Interdisciplinary Center, uh, also in Israel, is meant to examine the possibility of DNA data storage. I mean, this looks like a potential breakthrough. It's going to take a lot of development. DNA already holds intensely complex codes for human life, which make it potentially amazing for data storage. Encoding information on DNA requires that a chain made up of links called nucleotides, and these nucleotides are the four building blocks of life marked with A, C, G, and T. And then binary sequences of zeros and ones are then translated into an order of these nucleotides. So these guys decided, why are we limiting ourselves to four nucleotides? So they just went to more nucleotides to get more more data storage. And they're thinking of using this CRISPR technique, which is a way of manipulating DNA, to make it more malleable to information storage. But I w- I'd hate to make a DNA storage device and have it morph into some being. <laughs> yeah, really. It takes over your identity. It's just an interesting thought. I'd never thought of using a DNA for data storage. It's really a clever idea. Mm-hmm. Now, this is a special show, Jim, 
It is. We have a second idea of the week. Usually there's only one idea this, of the week. This is like a twofer. It's a twofer. We have another idea of the week. Generating power from the night sky. Sounds interesting. Now, we already know that you can put out solar cells and they'll you'll generate power when the sun is shining. But what happens when it's absolutely dark out there? There's no moon, nothing, pitch black. How can you generate sky? Well, some research generate power from the from the night sky. Some researchers have figured out a way to do that. They use it by harnessing the temperature difference between outer space and the Earth. So what they do, and then they use a the thermoelectric effect, which actually generates power from that temperature difference. And they have created an actual prototype that has the ability to light a single light bulb from just the night sky power. Now, the core of this new idea is the, uses the thermoelectric generators, I said, which produces electricity when one side of the generator is cooler than the other. Now, the sky-facing side of the generator is attached to an aluminum plate, and it faces the sky, and it's basically cooled by the night sky. Now, the other side of the generator faces the ground, and it is basically heated by the the earth and the in the atmosphere, the, uh, around the the, um, the the lower plate, and you get about a two degree temperature differential between the two plates, and that is enough to generate a little bit of power. So these guys, they actually made a they actually made a twenty centimeter prototype, twenty centimeter on twenty centimeter by twenty centimeter, one face one side facing up, one side facing down, and it generated twenty five milliwatts of power. It was enough to light up an LED diode. Now they estimate. That they could get, uh, that if they could make something which were, a, which was about four or five times larger than that, they would be able to light up a, a light bulb and, you know, keep, keep, keep the lights going in a house. So this is extremely useful in developing countries where you, where you don't have batteries to store energy when the, when the solar cells aren't working. You can create a little bit of power at night from the night sky. I thought that was just a clever idea. That's pretty nice. When are you switching over to the solar power at the Shirts compound? It's going to be a while. Because <laughs> I, honestly, I need more than one light bulb. See, it's a lot, need... it, it's a lot less efficient than, than solar cells, of course, because they get, uh, they estimate that they get about half a watt per square meter, which uh-huh. is a lot less Power density you get with solar cells, half a watt per square meter is what they can get out of this yeah, device. I, I get that this is not as efficient, but are, are you thinking about solar power? I may think about it. I don't have it yet. I'm surprised you have it. I You're know. such a gadget guy. I know, I know. And, and this is the last year where you can get some sort of... Tax credit, right? Tax credit, yeah. <laughs> tax credits run out this year. So... Could this be the end of the gig economy? You know, know. You know, the gig economy... But you're about to tell me. I'm going to tell you, exactly. Well... California, as always, is is trying to do something uh, to create issues for companies, and they passed a bill that paves the way for gig economy workers to get holiday and sick pay. Now, what is the gig economy? These are people that sign up for jobs like Uber, yeah, or sign up for um, TaskRabbit, and they just basically say, "Okay, I'm going to give you, you know, ten bucks to do the job," and they they sign up for it. They get a gig, they do the gig, they get ten bucks. And these are all treated as 1099 workers, not employees. Right. But uh, California says uh, if you're a, if you're working in the gig economy, that they believe you should get holiday and sick pay. Now, some people estimate that in the case of Uber, that would increase their operating costs by 30 percent. Yeah. I mean, it would be and Lyft. 
would have the sure. same would have would have the same problem. Task Rabbit, where that what puts customers in, in touch with people to do small t- jobs like assembling furniture, they would have a terrible time operating because Task Rabbit has 60,000 people that do tasks. Some of them do tasks on a regular basis, other than doing it occasionally. And now they got to figure out a way to give, you know, to provide benefits for these guys. It could kill some of these businesses that are based on the gig economy. Mm-hmm. And you know, not everybody likes it because a lot of people like the gig economy. They say, "Look, I don't I don't want to be tied down as an employee." Right. Yes. I just I just, if I want to go out occasionally and do a little bit of work to pick up some money, I'd like to do it. And so, not everybody is really happy with these changes. But there's a trend that starting in California could sweep to other states and it could actually undermine the whole gig economy. Now, let's talk about this asteroid that's going to hit tonight. Yeah. Okay, now, on Saturday night, September 14th, an asteroid that's between 300 and 600 meters in diameter will fly by the Earth. Now, that's as big as a big uh, a big uh, skyscraper. I mean... That's pretty big. They estimate that this asteroid, known as Asteroid 2000 QW7... I think they need to be a three-word thing for it. There needs to be a three-word thing for they the need, they need a three. They need, they need to go to the yeah the uh, word the three-word for asteroids, because these are... Run these, right now, asteroid. That that would be, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Miss the, here's the Miss the Earth asteroid. That's, that's <laughs> the one I want. Now, it's going to miss our planet by three million miles... But that's only 14 times the distance between the Earth and the Moon. So that, from you know, from astrological terms, astro, astrological, astrological terms. I don't want to say <laughs> astrology. Smart. I don't want to say astrology. Astronomical. Astronomical. Ast- yes. Astronaut. Now I knew. astronomical. Now, yeah. now we got. It. Oh, we always get that one mixed up. We do. So, so in in terms of the universe, that's a very small number. Now it it's going to go close enough that that. Amateur astronomers can actually take a look at it as it passes the Earth. Now, the uh, those who are experts in this thing have told the uh, Salon magazine that uh, that they can, that it's going to fly by the East Coast at 7:54 tonight. 7:54 tonight. But you'll have to have a telescope, and it'll have to be a telescope that has a diameter, a lens diameter of at least 250 millimeters. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's a you know that's a quarter of a meter. That's a you know that's, that's a big uh, telescope. That's a pretty big telescope. That's probably like a ten inch ten inch thing. So, if you want to keep a look at this thing at seven fifty four tonight to check for that skyscraper passing by the Earth, listen. We love 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 your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu. We'll get back to you as soon as we can, and we'd like you to go to the Stratford University website www.stratford.edu check out the healthcare programs nursing programs uh, computer science programs software engineering programs culinary hospitality business and tell them that you heard about those programs on tech talk radio if you tuned in later we'd like to hear this program again in its entirety it'll be rebroadcast today at 2 on federalnewsnetwork.com see you next week Tech Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online.